Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So stereo, I was thinking about stereotypes. Stereotypes are, are not necessarily good things. Uh, and they're not always accurate, but they exist for a reason, right? Stereotypes exist because certain people tend to sort of rally together around uh, either, either a style or a sort of a, uh, uh, an ideology or a way of thinking. <clears throat> and then you kind of just identify them with that style or that way of thinking. If you are, uh, you know, driving down the road and you see a guy in a uh, large four-wheel drive pickup, and he's got the brim of his hat rolled down real far, and he is spitting tobacco juice into a Coke bottle, that might be a redneck. And uh, it might not be a redneck. He might be a sophisticated urbanite, but you're probably going to stereotype that person as, as a redneck, and so... We, we have these stereotypes that we see somebody, we kind of identify them, oh, they're that way, that way. So <clears throat> I have a question for you guys, and I actually want you to respond, play a little game here. What do you think are stereotypes of Christians? What, when, when somebody is having a conversation, they talk about a Christian or what Christians are like, what are the stereotypes that they, they might say? What? Wait, wait, one at a time. Hater? They're a hater. Wow. What else? Judgmental. Oh, my goodness. Anything else? Sir? Hypocrite. Oh, that one hurts. Anything else? Okay. Hater, judgmental, hypocrite. Wow. Um, if, 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 the people of God were following Jesus and living according to the precepts that he laid out for them to live by, the stereotype of a Christian should be that they are loving. That's what it should be. A Christian author and philosopher Francis Schaeffer called love the final apologetic. He says that that is the mark of a Christian. That is what should define us. Um, Jesus has told us that the highest commandment, the, the, the highest uh, goal for our life would be to love God. And the second is like it to love our neighbor as ourself. So really we should be stereotyped and identified by love. So today, as we continue in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at a passage where Jesus kind of takes this next level. Uh, he says, not only are we to love God and love our neighbor, but he says today we are also to love our enemies. 
So last week, uh, we began looking at this sermon that Jesus does, an extended teaching on sort of what it means, what it looks like to follow him. He gave us a list of blessings and warnings, and uh, they related to how far-reaching the kingdom of God is, that human tragedy, whether it be poverty, hunger, um, grief, persecution, any one of those things, uh, cannot stop the presence of God, the kingdom of God, the rule of God from entering into our lives and penetrating even the darkest place uh, that we might find ourselves in. So today we're going to continue with the next little uh, section as Jesus talks about how his, follow, uh, how his followers are, are to love. So I'm going to actually go ahead to the title this morning. I'm going to steal Rich's title uh, and talk about who is my enemy. Who is my enemy? So let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get into the text. Lord, I just pray you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning. Open your word. Uh, allow us to receive it and to uh, penetrate our hearts and transform our lives in such a way that we really do Learn to love like you love. your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. Thomas, we put that up. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The, uh, the word uh, for love here is agape. It's the same word used for God's love for us. And here, Jesus applies that to the way that we are to love others, And uh, not just others in general, but specifically the way in which we are to love our enemies. So the the agape love of God has been described as being unconditional. uh, It has no limits, no boundaries. Uh, It's not earned. It's not necessarily reciprocated. It's just freely given. There's no qualifications put on God's love for us. And there are no qualifications put on uh, Jesus' encouragement to love our enemies here. He says we're to love our enemies, not love our enemies except the really, really bad ones. Or not love our enemies except when it makes more sense to kill them. He doesn't say love your enemies except when they're threatening your country. He says just love your enemies. Remember, uh, the audience that Jesus was speaking to was under Roman rule. And when he said this to them, love your enemies, that's who they would immediately have thought of is, uh, you know, the dreaded Romans, the Romans that have invaded our country, the Romans that have taken over our land, the Romans that tax us unfairly. 
That's who they would have immediately thought about. And Jesus says, I want you to love them. Not only do I want you to love them, but that love is actually a precondition to be a child of God. He says right there, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Interesting. It's not coincidental to me that this passage comes directly after the one that we looked at last week because last week was really about the indiscriminate love of God towards us and now he's applying that to our lives and saying that we are also to love indiscriminately. Uh, Matthew tells us that the sun rises on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I was thinking about that. If you're out, you know, maybe south or east of here somewhere in farmland and you don't go by one farm where it rains and it's all green and lush and growing because that farmer is a good farmer and his neighbor is a bad guy so it doesn't rain on his land and his is dry and dead no the rain falls on everybody and that's the heart of god his love towards us is totally indiscriminate there's there's no off button um we, we don't ever have to ask the question, should, should I love this person? You know, really, they're not a very nice person. In fact, they're kind of a bad person. This person's kind of a jerk. We don't have to ask that question because it has nothing to do with what kind of person they are. It has everything to do with what kind of God God is. If we choose to hate when it seems justified to hate, uh, we will not reflect the image of God. And Jesus says that at that point then we really are no different than anyone else. Uh, We said last week the blessings and woes section was descriptive. It was Uh, Jesus describing the kingdom of God. This particular passage is not descriptive. It's prescriptive. Here he is telling us what to do. In fact, he uses the word do several times. I want you to do this. And so love at this point is very concrete. It's um, It's not a feeling or an emotion. It doesn't exist hypothetically. It doesn't exist theoretically. It, it, it has what John Wimber would say, shoe leather. You walk it out. You live it out day by day. It's real in your life. Love your enemies. Love your enemies is sort of the overarching blanket statement here. And then he describes what that looks like in a little more detail. He says, we're to bless those even who curse us. Someone is mean to you, gives you the finger on the freeway, and you're still to bless that person. We, we are to pray for those who mistreat us. And, you know, and we don't pray that God will get them. or They'll die. We pray that God will love them and bless them and make himself known to them. We're to turn the other cheek. We're not to retaliate. We're to give to those who ask. And we're to give more than they ask. Now, if, you, if you're like me, and I think some of you are a little bit, you read this and you go, dang, that's hard. Uh, 
how do I do this? Do I, do I just try harder? Do I be better? What, this is beyond what I feel like I can do. Here's the truth. It's not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. And I think that's the point. The point is God is love, and we're incapable of replicating the love of God unless we have been completely immersed in that love. When the love of God penetrates our own hearts, we come to that place where we realize that he has forgiven us, he has saved us, he has loved us, he has filled us. Then and only then are our hearts transformed, and then and only then can we begin to love like he loved. Bertrand Russell was a uh, British philosopher who was born into a Christian home and raised in church, grew up going to church and following the Lord throughout much of his life. And then late in life, he walked away from his faith and embraced atheism. And this was his reason. Uh, This is is an actual quote from Russell. He says, the Christian principle, love your enemies, is good. There's nothing to be said against it, except that it's just too difficult for most of us to do most of the time. He was right. It's really hard. But here's the thing. He was thinking like a Pharisee. The the Pharisees say, keep the law. Jesus says, let me change your heart. That's the only way you can love. That's the only way you can live. That's the only way you can do these things that I've called you to do is is if you let me change your heart. I was thinking about this this week, and I felt like the Lord gave me an illustration from one of the previous passages we looked at. We talked about the wineskins a few weeks ago, remember, and um, how the new wine is poured into a new wineskin, and that that wineskin then is able to expand with it. And I felt like uh, what the Lord showed me was that if we pour the new wine of the Holy Spirit into our lives, that we expand with the presence of God, and he actually increases our capacity to love. He takes us to a place that's beyond ourselves and our ability to love others. So the key to really loving our enemies is to allow the Spirit of God to fill us with that new wine and increase that capacity. Otherwise, we can't do it. Um, In terms of, like, concrete application for this, here's the thing. It's really, really easy to identify our enemies. And Christians do it all the time. We will um, align ourselves uh, with certain causes and uh, certain positions and certain ways of thinking. And in doing that, we also align ourselves against anything, anyone that is different or thinks differently or or, uh, views life differently than we do. What's wrong with this country is the liberal agenda. The liberals are the enemy. The abortionists are the enemy. Certainly, homosexuals are the enemy. Possibly, feminists are the enemy. Foreigners, Californians, 
Uber drivers. I don't know why Uber drivers. I just thought. If you're blaming people, just blame somebody. Not Uber drivers today. Stephanie had to take an Uber here to worship with us this morning. Bless you. Um, it's really easy for us to adopt an agenda that says we have to stop these people and then we lobby against them, we vote against them, and we actually, oh my gosh, sometimes we pray against them. And here's the problem. That's not really the biblical approach. Again, Jesus was speaking to people under Roman rule, and it's interesting to me. I've done a little research, and I can't find anywhere where he said, you know what the problem with our country is? It's the dang Romans. If we could get the Romans out of here, we would be where we're supposed to be again. We could be the people we want to be. That's who we're called to be. We've got to get rid of the Romans. Jesus never said that. He said, the problem is you guys need to be salt and light. You need to represent me to the people around you, including the Romans. He calls us to reflect the goodness and the grace and the agape love of God to the people around us, especially those that we don't agree with. So uh, my, my encouragement to us today is this. Instead of engaging in culture wars... Can we prayerfully consider ways in which we might be able to love those around us and be able to love those that think differently than us and be able to love those that hold different positions than us? How might we be able to do that? At the end of um, Who is My Enemy, Rich gives a few ideas uh, as to what that might look like. And I want to Go over those with you. The first one is be civil. You put that up. I want to say this. To be nice to someone or to respect someone does not necessarily mean you agree with everything they say, think, or do. Okay? Um, Go ahead and go to the next slide, Thomas. This is interesting. Uh, I was preparing this message this week, and a friend of mine who lives in California, he's a dreaded Californian, sent me this uh, screenshot of this quote from Rick Warren this week, and he didn't know what I was speaking on, but he just sends me this randomly. Warren says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. We can be civil, we can be engaged, we can even be compassionate and loving towards someone, even though they represent a very, very different perspective on life than we do, and even though they may engage in certain lifestyles or or life choices that are horrendous in our way of thinking. I've been... uh, watching the news the last couple of weeks over the abortion laws that have passed in some states and the protests happening. And I just thought to myself, what would happen if Christians decided they were going to go out and love those people that are protesting against these laws? What would happen? It's just an interesting thought. 
How, how might that affect them? Um, we, we need to find a way to move away from name-calling and finger-pointing and the blame game and find a way to be civil and nice to people that we disagree with. That, that I, I would say, is the Christian thing to do. I quoted uh, or referenced Francis Schaeffer earlier. If you've never read Francis Schaeffer, he was a Christian philosopher and a deep thinker. And Schaeffer was a uh, very astute cultural analyst. And he spent a lot of his writing deals with culture and the world and the way the world is. And he was not afraid at all to identify what he saw as concerns and problems in the world. And yet here's the thing. He was never mean-spirited about it. He was an incredibly, incredibly compassionate person. Incredibly loving in the midst of recognizing everything that isn't right. Second thing, use persuasion, not force. Um, You know, when you read the book of Acts, there are recorded a number of different sermons there from Peter and Paul and Stephen and others. It's interesting to me that they always engage their audience in a very meaningful and real way. They find common ground with them, uh, and then they present their position, rather than just to say, I'm right, you're wrong. Here's what that requires. It requires the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And instead of just saying, I'm right, you're wrong, I don't like what you have to say, can we not say, Holy Spirit, would you show me what to say and when to say it and how to say it to really reach this person? Third thing, be personal, not political. This is so important to me. Jesus' primary concern was personal and pastoral. It was to care about um, the spiritual condition of people around him. And we we can't do that if we're focused on issues. If what we do, here's what happens. We have an issue that we're against, and this person is for that, so we attach that person to the issue, and then we dehumanize that person. And they're no longer a person, they're just... Uh, something in the way of what I believe, believing something different than me, and we completely dehumanize him, and it's not what God would do. He would say, no, you know what? The reality is, I don't agree with that person, but they're created in the image of God, and Jesus died for them, and he loves them a lot. How might I be able to represent Jesus to that person? Fourth and final thing, and if uh, worship team wants to come back up, we'll wrap up here in just a minute. Remember that the Bible is the story of the redemption of a fallen world. And our goal should be the redemption of fallen people. It's not to prove that we are right and they are wrong. It's, it's, it's not to, to promote our agenda or even to make America great again. Our goal should be the redemption of fallen and broken people. 
that's how we should approach those that we might identify as being enemies. So I will just, uh, I'll close with this and then uh, we'll, we'll worship. But the first line of the passage today, Jesus says, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. So Lord, I uh, pray that you would help us to learn to love pray that even this week, in very real ways, you would give us opportunities to extend uh, the love of God to people around us that we might uh, otherwise avoid. Pray, Lord God, that you would bring, um, even bring into our path those that we would have opportunities to love in the name of Jesus. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org forward slash give.